Hi, this is Chad. Thanks again for joining me. I'm so glad to be part of your experience working towards product mastery. We're doing this together to create products that customers love. This episode is sponsored by the Rapid Product Mastery Experience. That's the RPM experience. This is really the fastest way for product VPs and leaders to help their product managers, as well as innovators, anyone else contributing to products to increase their performance. It's not just training like anything you've looked at before. It really is an experience. Go to productmasterynow.com slash RPM to see how it can help you. Now, let's talk about the just listeners of this podcast for a moment, because a lot of the people that listen to this podcast have been in product management for several years. Many of them are in leadership roles, such as product VPs or CPOs, heads of innovation and the like. There's also others that listen that are you know, more new to product management and their careers are getting started in that area. And there's some that listen that are curious about what is this thing called product management and how do I get into it? What is it? What do I need to know? All of us have our different paths kind of towards the roles that we have now. And I just find it fascinating to talk to people about what their path was to get into product then over time become a leader in product and you know growing the product organization, the capability of companies. And we all have some very interesting paths. And today we're gonna to talk about one of those and specifically with Bella Rini, her path in this episode helped her become head of product at Trade.io and started in an interesting place. And really wanna hear about her path. I think that's motivating for all of us. And also what she has learned that was significant along the way that really helped her in product and become a head of product for her organization as well. She is a former secondary school teacher with a bachelor's degree in geography. And after teaching, she moved into these product roles. Now at Trade.io, she believes that embedded integrations may be the relief product teams solely need. She's leading product engineering teams to develop a platform for embedded integrations that quickly connect various software applications. And we'll talk more about that as well. As always, if you want a written summary of anything we talk about, including a one-page action guide that will help you put into action immediately the key takeaways from our discussion, simply go to productmasterynow.com slash 396. Bella, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. It's delightful to be able to talk. I love paths to product, right? And most of us have very interesting different paths. They tend to come in two big buckets. I see a lot of people kind of from a marketing perspective, some customer-facing kind of perspective, and a lot of people from an engineering development perspective. But I've run across you know, lawyers that are in product, people in different roles. I'm sure I've talked to people that came from a teaching background, but I haven't known it. The, you're the first one. And I'm really curious about that path. And I'd like to start with, where did this interest in product begin? Tell us about the background a little bit. I think I was always kind of interested in people and how they use tools to do their daily sort of lives. And also maybe more than that, kind of like how they achieve things, how they maybe achieve kind of transformation or anything like that. And I was always kind of interested in the problems that are being solved by businesses. And that was kind of even before... I was in teaching, but then what I really started to drill into is when I was in education, you know, there's so much to education, you know, like local education, the bigger picture, different education policies, and also all of that dovetailing with how can we do this better? How can we move this forward? And a lot of that came down to the technology that we use. How can we empower students? How can we empower teachers? How can we empower parents? And what I really found when I was in education was that it was scary how little we were utilizing great technology in order to 
do those big things and to try and solve those challenges. And I found it really interesting to try and say, you know, what could we do? What could we use to do this better? Mm -hmm. How could we share resources between different teachers? How could we keep students sort of like progress getting better and bring them into kind of the 21st century, not necessarily kind of maybe skills like rote learning skills from the past that we've needed, but like more innovative thinking, critical thinking and things like that. So that's really where I guess my interest in product and technology and solving problems came from and originated from. And I think that what I really found was that I wanted to use technology to solve the problems that I saw every day in teaching and in education, but I couldn't do that in the role that I was in. We introduced various different sort of like education technology platforms. They all needed to talk to each other. They needed to be integrated. They needed to move fast, be built on kind of like frictionless technology. And all of that was very interesting to me. And so that's how I kind of moved away from the day-to-day classroom into kind of product technology and kind of solving problems and making a business out of it. So a strong theme I heard weave through what you just shared is a desire to make things better, that you saw some system going on. We might say there was friction in that. It wasn't producing the value that we wanted. Some of the stakeholders, you know, students and parents and others weren't involved as much as, as they could have been to get more value out of it. So there was some needs there and you wanted to make it better. And that that drove your interest into well, how can we find some solutions to make this better or develop solutions and In this case, they happen to be technology solutions, which is often part of innovation and element of making things better. Yeah, I would say that's bang on the money. I think the thing for me that is a common thread that I guess kind of is a bit of an arc to where I am now and the kind of products that I'm interested in and kind of software as a service, et cetera, is I really wanted to empower others to make things better rather than, I guess, kind of just technology for technology's sake to improve things but actually like how could the right tools in the hands of the right people who are the experts who are strategic who have a vision for how things could be how could they be empowered by the right tools which are frictionless for them to use which Mm -hmm. add huge value to them and allow them to innovate in a big way and I think that you know the right kind of software in, in the hands of someone in an organization can add transformative change to their own role, their team, and also kind of the business that they're in. Excellent. And you're across the pond from me in England. And I love talking with Brits because I'm reminded of phrases that I hear often. We were talking before and I told you I have a, my, my favorite coffee shop is owned by a couple from England. And so, I, and I have some other friends, but I don't hear the phrases too much. I love the the bang on the money, right? That's bang yeah. on the money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I was like, oh, what did I say? That <laughs> yeah. 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 But there's another one that I've learned that apparently is not a very American phrase is not a very American phrase, but I think of it as American and we use it a lot in the UK, which is play ball with. And for mm. me, that's like play. So I'll say like, oh, well, this doesn't really play ball nicely with this other. Yeah. And but people are like, oh, that's a phrase that I don't use or I haven't heard. And I'm like, that's an American phrase to me. But yeah, maybe uh, that's a Britishism. I think that's an American phrase, too. I've been in Colorado a long time at home was Midwest when I grew up. And that sounds like a Midwest sort of phrase to me. Like, Yes, that, that, that would play ball. So well, I spent time in Texas and the one I liked down there was, well, that won't cut butter. Like, that's a bad idea. That won't cut butter. <laughs> it's like, if you can't cut butter, it must not be good for anything. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. That one. So back to the product discussion, too. So you, you had this desire, you know, let's remove friction. Let's solve a problem. Let's make things better for people. Let's get the right tools into the right people's hands to do something with them to improve the situation. How did that then turn into your first product role? 
as I think lots of product people do, I thought I could do it all myself. And so wanted to start my own thing, do my own business, be that entrepreneur to say like, right, okay, I think that there's something in here. I think that I could do it. And I tried a few different sort of avenues of, you know, starting with little things that I wanted to bring to market, trying to find other people to work with and things like that. And that lasted for a bit of time. It taught me a lot, grit, resilience, all the rest of the things. And that was exciting. But then that sort of led me to, okay, maybe I need to get a bit more kind of skin in the game here first. And that led me to kind of take job with being a sort of contractor with a few folks that I had known who were trying to kind of basically launch a product offering and pivot from basically being a services company where they had kind of events to having a platform that they would kind of run those events Hmm. on. And it was kind of in the similar space of, oh, we have a bunch of tools that people use to run these events. We want those tools to kind of talk to each other. We want to provide a seamless experience for people who are attending the events and also running the events and things like that. And how could this kind of come to market? And so I sort of took a, a hit to try and stake out, okay, you know, here's the basic requirements that we think this product could do and a bit of kind of market and competitor research and things like that. And that was a really small company in London called Cable Crowd. And then I moved on a sort of like car tech, car buying marketplace after also being a little bit at Bloomberg as well, trying to help them with, you know, what they could do from a product perspective in terms of philanthropic endeavors. And they had a bunch of sort of philanthropies and databases. And again, kind of how can people who aren't necessarily technical or people who are used to using tools have a product that could help them make things better, but then landed quite firmly in the European sort of car buying marketplace space, sort of Hmm. car tech, and stayed there for about sort of three years. And then after that, ended up where I am now. Okay. And we'll talk about the now in just a moment too. But the interesting thing to me, and I want to highlight this for all of us listening, right? There are a couple of things you said that I think are more common than not. One is the you know desire to kind of start your own thing, right? S- somewhere along the line, either this happens first to us, like I want to start my own thing. In my case, that wasn't really a part of my mindset until I, my background's engineering, right? And so I liked developing products. And over somewhere in the process, I quickly grew to really liking the customer interaction and helping them with that and then leading the teams to develop the product. But after work, there was uh, often a bunch of us that would go hang out and we would just you know, share ideas like, hey, we could do this and this. And they were all over the place, right? Some of them were technology, you know, hardware, software sort of ideas. Some were mundane physical things that they just responded to problems in our life that, you know, we, we just really enjoy talking about the things that we could do. And I think that's common to a lot of people that are in product sort of work, right? And I think it never stops. Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 So you're always going to go down to the pub or to a bar and be like, hey, what about this? I was just going to say, you and I could go hang out at the pub and no doubt, you know, share some ideas about things. We're just bumping into in our life that like, you know, that this should be easier. There should be a better way here. And then you went from some desire in teaching to wanting to make things better through wanting to start your, you know, your own thing. And I assume that was probably related to teaching at the time. What, is that true or was it something else? No, no, no okay. it wasn't. You're, it wasn't really. Okay. So you, you were just at that time already pursuing, how do I get into the, you know creating something new? And then the other experiences that you shared, right? This event platform and time at Bloomberg and then the car buying company. Those are really good reminders to all of us that it's not our domain knowledge that really makes us powerful in product. It's the understanding of processes 
about how do we take an idea? How do we work with the team? How do we grow that into something that actually creates value? How do we find that fit between what we're doing and what customers actually want and generate revenue from it? And that applies across domains. And I think sometimes people get caught up in, well, you know, I'm kind of tired of where I am now. I don't really like the work environment. I have to find another job in this industry. And I think that's rather limiting because as product people, you know, the companies I work with are, the majority I would say is hardware, software companies because that's probably my background. But I've worked with food companies, right? Food science and gas companies that make helium, hydrogen and things. And just this wide variety because the processes apply. That variety of of experiences you had, you must have been seeing some things that just worked for you, right? Regardless of the domain. Yeah, I would say that that's definitely a fair assessment, I think. I think what I sort of found navigating through those things is having a blend of, you know, your frameworks, right? Your toolkit of, you know, your classic, like, what is our goal here? How could we work backwards? What is the Mm -hmm. impact that we want to have? What is the value that we want to bring? And asking good questions of, you know, the other folks that you're working with who are predominantly much more expert than you in that particular domain or that particular field. But building that muscle of asking curious, open questions to get insightful, qualitative data back, whether they're, you know, customers of potential customers of whatever tool it might be, or whether it's stakeholders who've had a lot of skin in the game for that industry. I think that's a muscle that is really important that I realized that I needed to develop quickly and luckily kind of had from teaching, you know, 11 to 18 year olds, you get to have a good muscle of how to talk to people, how to get things out of them that maybe they don't necessarily want to say. And that sort of like coaching habit. I think that really helped me across the board, be able to kind of move swiftly and hit the ground running and to know everything that you need to know in order to add value to whatever kind of group or initiative or company you're working with. But I think the real thing is you need to have the ability to influence others. And I think it's really those kind of leadership characteristics, which will serve you incredibly well. So it's twofold. It's asking the right questions of the right people, building relationships, be it with customers, stakeholders to get the information that you need to add value. But then it's secondarily, what do you do with that information when you have it? And how do you move everybody forward and influence groups in order to have that impact. And that's a skill, right? You know, the influencing, how do you get the buy-in? How do you decide when to jump in with, okay, I hear you on that on that point. I hear you on that point, but this is what we're going to do. This is my decision and this is why. Versus when to step back. Are we going to do groupthink here? Are we going to come to a sort of collective agreement? And all those, that's just one example, right? Decision-making, how do you achieve kind of the collective agreement versus a little bit more of a sort of dictatorial stance on decision-making, when to employ either. Um, but I think that those two things were really important transferable skills that I would encourage kind of everyone to look at themselves and say, do I have those? And if not, what do I need to do to maybe grow them? And also, importantly, what are the indicators that tell me that I have them if I don't know? (laughs) Because sometimes it's like, do I influence people? Can I get buy-in? I'm not sure. But then they also are saying like, oh, I'm telling people to do stuff or I'm asking people to do stuff, but nothing's happening. I'm like, ah, okay. So knowing what those indicators are that you're able to make things happen with those leadership skills and then being confident that you can use them in other places, as you say, in other domains and other industries, in other scales. I think that was something that I, that I really had to get comfortable with is going from teeny tiny scale in some areas to sort of 
Bloomberg scale, which was, hey, we're one vertical in one area, but we're massive. Then the startup scale that I first initially kind of joined in, which was we're X number of people across X number of countries. And it's quite small, but we have aspirations to be this massive thing. And then next time you make a jump, at what scale do you want to be at? So I think those three things are important. Yeah. Some really good insights in there. I, and I think that's an advantage for us having the experience in different domains and not limiting ourselves to move into a new domain, a new industry, because, you know, you've jumped. It sounds like every time has been a different industry you know, that you've gone to. You don't bring in the same assumptions that everyone else in that industry has at that time, right, which is really valuable for us as innovators that are trying to create new value for customers that we're not looking at it the same way everyone else always has. Yeah, I would say that's true. But I would also caveat with that it's not it's not easy and it's scary mm. because you I think, it, it, you know, for me personally, right now, I love the knowledge that I have about the particular industry that I'm in right now. And I think it's really valuable. And then the idea of, you know, sometime in future saying, OK, I'm going to take all of that accumulated knowledge and understanding about our types of customers or the market or anything and and put it aside to go somewhere that's I have nothing to bring to the table for in terms of industry knowledge yet is a daunting and I think quite terrifying prospect. So it's not easy to do for sure. It's not easy, but that reminder that we have the skills because we understand the process, you know, and those straightforward things, you know, how do you talk to people? How do you find those qualitative insights and their problems? One of my favorite examples that longtime listeners will have heard me say a few times, I interviewed the global innovation director for Snap-on Tools, right? So Snap-on does tools for professional mechanics. When you go get your car fixed or you're working on the wind turbine, their Snap-on Tools likely are used for those repairs. And the guy that leads innovation for them came over as a food science PhD from Pepsi. So he was at Pepsi making beverages and he went to, he doesn't know anything about metals, right? Went over to Snap-on to learn that industry and lead them, lead their innovation efforts, right? Because what we do applies across the board. For sure. And I think it's having that energy as well to always want to learn more. So, you know, not only do you have kind of the tools or the frameworks or the skill set to, to sort of lead irrespective maybe or agnostic of industry or market, but that you're always hungry to learn what other people mm. know that you don't know at all. I think that kind of goes back to the curiosity standpoint right. of how do you ask good questions of the people who do know? I've been lucky enough to my boss where I am at Trader.io is the CTO, and he is wonderful in over the years that I've been at Trey in teaching me and taking a lot of time and care and kind of teaching me about lots of these things that I never knew. But it took me asking good questions, right? Mm -hmm. Why does it work this way? And I think that being hungry to learn and to understand is really important, not coming with that perspective of like, yeah, know it, been here, done that. I got the frameworks, I got the tools, I'm a product person, I understand product. But the specificity of the area that you're working with, you're still hungry to understand more. That's important. Excellent. And we'll dive into a few more specifics in that, but no doubt innovation is important to all the work that we do in product. And there was a recent KPMG survey of more than 1,300 CEOs, about two-thirds of them said they intend to increase investment in innovative processes, and about 30% said they're going to rely on innovation to drive growth. And my question then is, well, where do you start in that, right? And I see a lot of wasted efforts and expense going into innovation efforts 
And really what you need to do is build a strong foundation that gets everyone on the same page and working together. Podcast is made possible here because of some work that I do, and I sponsor this podcast through that work. And it's through a system called the Rapid Product Mastery Experience, the RPM Experience. And it really is for organizations that rely on innovation to drive growth. This is how you get everyone on the same page, working together, collaborating, understanding the same foundation, the same body of knowledge, and it helps you move forward together much faster. So if you want to consider how innovation really does fit into your plans for growth, the RPM experience is a great way to do that. Simply go to productmasterynow.com slash RPM to find out more. I'm sure, Bella, that you think about innovation, right? And what does that kind of mean in the bigger picture? Do you consider yourself more of a product person or innovation person, or are they kind of the same? I would say I'm more of a product person. That's a bit of a sort of like knee-jerk answer, because I bet that if we pick apart what the two mean, maybe there's overlap. Oh, I def- there definitely is. But my immediate reaction is, yeah, I'm more of a product person rather than a sort of an innovation person. But I think that what I really like to do is to sort of like harness those people in an organization or those groups and the processes, as you say, that are in place to leverage them to bring product thinking into kind of innovation. So, you know, a cool thing, really interesting technology, a potentially incredibly novel idea, really differentiating functionality that no one else has and would be very innovative to try and bring to market and very disruptive, perhaps. How do you apply that sort of product lens of, you know, how does this add huge value to our customers or does it take us in a place that, that we would actually be going after a different a different area of the market and we'd be acquiring new customers and it would be kind of a new area or a new offering. How do we talk about the value of it? And that's how I think that I sort of work with those sort of innovators. I think it is really important to have a nice blend of both because like, sometimes you can get a little bit like caught up in the product headspace of, you know, is this the most valuable thing? What is the priority? Who is this for? What is the opportunity cost of doing this? And you lose sight a little bit of like, wow, why is this so great? Or why is this so exciting? And where could it go in future? And just allow yourself a little bit of of a longer leash to, to dream and hope and think and plot. And I think that sometimes you know, it's important to to make time for that. I think that is bang on the money. The The product work is one type of innovation work, right? So we might yeah. innovate processes or business model or partnerships, other things. And I, I certainly see a big, inter- that, that they interweave with each other, right? Let's say product is an aspect of, our, of innovation for sure. When it comes to, you know, what has, what really enabled you to become head of product for an organization, right? They're at Trey.io. So you, you move from teaching roles to, you know, different product roles in different industries to now leading product in an organization. And you mentioned some things I'm sure, you know, go through that experience, you know, the ability to be curious and to ask good questions, get those insights, help a team kind of feel, can be empowered to, to take action and to move. But, you know, maybe what's one or two things that really stand out that say, you know, this was an experience or this was something I learned that really prepared me to lead product? A hard question. I'll try and answer it as best I can with some of my notes. I think that the one thing that, or sort of one of the things that has enabled me to lead product where I am is a really, a lot of enthusiasm for our product and how cool it is. So I like to think that I am infectiously excited about our product offering and what we do and how much we do it 
better than others in the market. And I like to think that through sort of infecting other people with that energy, motivation and excitement, it allows people to really see the bigger picture of what it is that they're doing. And then it kind of puts me in that sort of leadership role because I'm painting that vision of where we might want to go in the future because what we have is so exciting. But just imagine if, you know, we were this in the future and painting the story of that vision where we want to be in a way that allows people to kind of get behind it, engineering folk, product folk, other folks who are working with our customers. And I think that for me is how I got to kind of where I am now being really excited about the products and trying to get everyone behind what it can be, what it is right now and why that's exciting, but what it can be in future and that sort of future state and vision that, that we have for it. So you're bringing into the role the energy of we get to create something new, so something that's valuable to customers, and coupling that with this energy of this really matters. There's a bigger picture here that you get to be a part of, and that this really matters, and this is why it matters. Infectiously excited, I think you said. Yes, I like to think so. I think sometimes maybe overly optimistic or energetically excited, also things that have been leveled at me. So I think there's always a there's always a balance as a leader, right? Like to, you know, Hard things are hard. Just always being very focused on how great it can be and how innovative and how exciting what we're doing and how sort of boundary pushing and unique we are in the product offering that we're trying to create can, you know, lead to missing, okay, but we have these really hard challenges right now. How are we going to solve those either organizationally or product challenges or customer needs and things like that? I think that's always been a balance for me. How do we give that level of excitement about the future, but also empowering teams and supporting teams to say, okay, well, what are we going to do about these immediate term problems? How can I support you? What do you need from me? And making sure that I find that balance has been something I've definitely worked on. Yeah, there's definitely hard things for sure. And empowering the team to work through them on a large scale of hard things. I was just listening to an interview with the CEO of SpaceX recently, where she was talking about her experience, CEO at SEO, and their different launches. And I forget which launch it blew up, right? It blew up in, in space, yeah, the rocket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and she said that was obviously very hard, you know, big setback, very expensive, not terribly unexpected. She didn't say that, but, you know, the, just in terms of we all learn through the mistakes and failures, right? That's important to recognize. But that was really hard. And what she recognized was in that moment, everyone, it was hard on everyone. But as the leader, she had to make them understand that, you know, sure, this is hard, but we need to push forward. And she couldn't really show how hard it was on her to everyone else around her, she recognized. Like, you know, that that pulls everyone down. My job is to make sure everyone's recognizing where we're going, and that we need to keep pushing and moving forward. Yeah, yeah, I definitely empathize with that. I think, you know, as a product leader, you do have to find your own kind of coping mechanisms, right? And for me, it's been kind of some other people like adjacent folks in the organization Mm -hmm. who, you know, at a similar leadership level, but perhaps, you know, not necessarily in product or in engineering or in the sort of innovation space, you can kind of lean on and be a little bit more open and up upfront with and finding those kind of golden people for you I think in any sort of leadership role really but like within your organization right right they'll help pull you through and then makes you feel like you are part of a, another team as opposed to just kind of on your own at the front because everybody else has their own teams product management have their own teams folks that they rely on either each other as product management colleagues or product designers, but also, you know, the wider product team, they work with other engineers, engineering managers, other folks in in other roles. But 
if you don't feel as a leader that you're also part of the team, I think that can be mm-hmm. especially hard. So finding those other people that you're also in a mm-hmm. team with matters. Yeah. And build those relationships early because when you need them, you need the relationship in place. Yeah, exactly. And then also you can use them to, you know, challenge each other potentially right. quite combatively, but very healthfully because, you know, you're always going to be challenging other leaders in the organization to step up or they're going to be challenging you because they need something from you, they're not getting, et cetera. But if you've invested in acting like a team in the first place, it makes those challenging conversations a lot more objective and a lot more kind of constructive versus, you know, if you haven't invested in, in acting like a team in the first place, then I think it's a lot harder. Excellent. Yeah. I don't know if I'll have the opportunity to do this at this stage of life now. I always thought I've been a part of a couple of startups. And if I was to be part of a founding startup team, I want to spend the first week river rafting down the river in Colorado just for that team building experience. It's like we have to rely on each other and make this work. And you're hanging out at camp at night and learning more about each other. And there's times that it's hard and times that it's fun. And I thought, gosh, that'd be such a great bonding experience. So we'll see. Yeah, sure. Wonderful information. Thank you for sharing your experience and your path through that and really good insights about as product people and product leaders you know, being curious, knowing we, we have to have that ability to talk to people, talk to our customers, talk to our stakeholders, get those insights from them, and then be able to take action on that and lead the team and create that team and empower them to take action on those insights as well. As listeners know, we love an innovation quote around here. What do you have for us and what does that mean to you? Yeah, so my quote is, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing again and again and expecting different results. I think for me, it encompasses two things. First of all, Hard things are hard. You've got to keep doing them. But at the same time, you've always got to change. Change is the only constant. And in order to move forward and innovate and make progress, you've got to constantly be pulling things apart, putting them back together again. And you can't do it the same way every time. Yeah, and recognizing that you might be doing the same thing over and over. It's time to change. So Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that quote with us. Tell us a little bit about Treyat.io, what are embedded integrations and the work there, and then anything else you want to share in terms of people knowing about the work that you do? Yeah, so the Trey platform is an integration and automation platform. It enables people to build out big, hairy, solve big, hairy integration challenges and automate big processes across their organization. And what you can do with those is you can embed those integrations into your own product or your own platform so that your customers can benefit from those integrations. And we find that it leads to happier, stickier customers that are really sort of bought into to your application. And yeah, the Trey product is can solve a kind of wide range of different stuff. But it's really exciting when you get to grips with building something out and then embedding it and sharing it with other folks in the organization or with your own customers. And it's pretty exciting to to see it grow. We've been delivering some incredible stuff recently, which I've been very proud of. But yeah, it's all there for the world to see Mm -hmm. on trade.io. And listeners, she is putting into action her enthusiasm. When I are on video with each other so we can see each other. And her smile was just the biggest in our time talking together when she just talked about Trade.io. For those a little bit unfamiliar with integration platforms here, uh, embedded systems, can you give us an example of this? Is this like if I have some SaaS solutions, I'm building a SaaS solution, and I can make things talk up together, even though I don't yet, maybe I need to integrate with Salesforce, and pull data or something. Is that what we're talking about? Exactly that. Yeah. So taking those explosion of SaaS products that you use on a daily basis, Salesforce, Google Sheets, Slack, Teams, 
you know, Marketo, all sorts of CRMs, all of these sorts of things. And then basically breaking down the data silos and making the data kind of flow between these tools and using them to act more intelligently, make better decisions, and ultimately to grow a trajectory that is much steeper than if you were having to do everything manually and everything was sort of locked down, no access to different things. But yeah, it's third-party integrations, making things talk to each other and with no need for, you know, building things out natively. And so what you can do is when things change in your organization, so, you know, you use the example of Salesforce, you know, you're routing leads to different members of your sales team based on geography or based on some other characteristic or parameter. When that changes, you can easily change the workflows that are powering that integration to react accordingly, quite simply and quite easily, as opposed to in the past, we had to knottily pull things apart. It's quite kind of light and frictionless to be able to adapt and change and innovate constantly. And that just means that you're able to kind of cut time down, right, from sort of change management being, you know, weeks or months or whatever to, oh, well, that can take me a few hours this afternoon, I'll change that. And then let's do some testing tomorrow. And let's see if everything's flowing through the way that we expect it to. And then we're good to go. So it's hours. And trade.io for people that might have an opportunity for that. If you're working on SaaS solutions, certainly sounds like a good framework to know about. So Bella, thank you so much for joining us. No, thanks so much for having me. I hope I didn't have too many Britishisms that need translation, but otherwise I really enjoy it. The Britishisms make the discussion much more interesting as well. So I enjoy those. And <laughs> listeners, if you want those written notes again of details of what we talk about, including that one page action guide, simply go to productmasterynow.com slash 396. Everyone keep innovating. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.